of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, But of hearing the words of the Lord, they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. People are very inventive. They're always making up new words. 840 new words appeared in Webster's Dictionary last year. There are lots of new words out there. Predictive text. Airplane mode. Biohacking. Instagramming. Chillaxing. When you start getting uptight about something and then you just calm down. Staycation. When you have a holiday in your immediate area. Not such a hardship here in Geneva, it must be said. Some new words in common usage are not quite so nice. Tell a different story. Food bank. Tent city. Self-harm. One of the most disturbing and shocking books I ever read was called Mao's Great Famine by Frank Dakota. It speaks about the Great Famine in China between 1958 and 1962. What a book describing what a botch up. Everything that could go wrong in China during that period did. Transport, quality control, dealing with the workforce... Deliberately, as a result of official government policy, disorganized chaos. The ruthless application of political dogma, creating a situation of unbelievable deprivation and need for countless millions of people. Famine. Famine. I remember being told as a a wee boy, now you eat up your dinner, think of all those poor starving children in China. I had no idea how awful it was. Today, our nightmare is in Yemen, with vivid, terrible images of famine, too stark and awful to trivialise as metaphor, too awful just to spiritualise away. 
The people of the Bible knew all about famine, what it did. They knew the thin years, far different from the fat years, the capriciousness of nature, the the locusts, the ache in the belly, all too real, and the fear. They knew the image well. So when Amos uses it to shock them into a realization of what was at stake for them, if they kept on disrespecting God, who was entitled to their love and obedience, they feel the force of that image. A famine of the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? Just nothing from him. And ironically, they were disrespecting their Lord in one particular dimension. It wasn't that they weren't reading their Bible enough or going to the temple frequently enough. What was bothering Amos was blatant, shameless, endemic economic injustice. It's funny, all all the things we get in a twist about in the church and we huff and puff at our list of issues. We have to wonder if we're actually missing the main thing. Maybe missing it because it's too uncomfortable. You know, we get all hung up on veneration of the saints and doctrines of the Trinity and how we do communion and how often to have it and the role of women in the church and gay clergy and celibacy and the size of presbyteries and what tune to sing a hymn to. Really? Really? When it seems... That God, if we are to believe his prophets, is not a little concerned about the poor and how the resources of the world are divvied up and whether or not people get a fair deal and if the vulnerable are respected and protected. All those nuts and bolts kinds of things that people actually wake up in the morning worrying about. How are they going to get through the day? How are they going to feed their children? They don't wake up wondering, I suspect, whether it's right to venerate the Blessed Virgin Mary as the Queen of Heaven or to light candles as you pray or or to cross yourself or not. How to pay the gas bill? What about the condensation running down the walls of my house? Why can't my children find a job? Why am I treated like a pariah by the rest of society? Real questions. Much more pressing questions. The kind of questions Amos is raising for his Israel. Where, by the way, the rich get richer and the poor are getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop week after week after week. Now, I have ministerial colleagues, usually in apparently prosperous parishes, who make a big thing about this. Cranking up the guilt in those who are well off. Sunday by Sunday, in the name of being true to that challenging word of the prophets and the voice of Amos, hoping to generate a generous response to the cry of the poor. But I can't help feeling that to do that from the safe place of a pulpit, in a context of worship where people largely listen politely, is a bit unfair, especially if at the same time you as the minister, as the preacher, enjoy your foreign holidays 
and your nice house and your shiny car and your well-stocked wine cellar. I think it's the kind of area you have to earn some kind of right to speak out on if people are not going to purse their lips at the hypocrisy. And the truth is, people do care. People do things. Efforts are made. Differences are made. Church people, no less than others, feel the pain of the world and roll up their sleeves and try to make a difference. Throughout the Church of Scotland, through Christian aid, through guild projects, Christians involved in Rotary, charitable efforts aplenty, mission initiatives, shaping and supporting communities across the globe. But I, for one, have little time for preachers who bang on about all of this and give congregations a hard time about their attitude to the poor while the preacher himself or herself has patently, obviously, never left their comfort zone to do something about it themselves. What we can't duck is that as issues go, justice for the poor is huge in the Bible. Huge. Justice, what do we want? Justice, when do we want it? Now. The Bible is full of concern for the poor and we are left in no doubt what God's take on all of that is, on whose side he firmly and clearly stands. If we really want to meet him, we need to wash feet, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, attend to the sick, visit the prisoner, for that's where he has chosen to be. That's the company he keeps. They say that in space, no one can hear you scream. Amos dares us to imagine what it would be like to live in a silent, godless world. Weak and dying from lack of a word from the Lord. This silent, godless world is the unashamed aspiration, the driving dream of the Dawkinesque, aggressively secularist school. Religion of any kind, let's get rid of it. Not to be tolerated, not even as a helpful fable, not even as a placebo. To ease the pain of existential angst. Get rid of it. Get it off the agenda. Get it out of our world. So that we can be free to make the rules. In a world where only the strong survive. That relentless evolutionary thrust that leaves the weak to, to die out. History has shown us that they've tried to do that in some places. Some of the ancient cultures sought to make it an atheistic society. In recent times, Stalin tried it. Mao sought to create that universe. Hitler laughed in the face of God. They did all they could to engineer an environment where the voice of the Lord was absent, was silenced, where the word of the Lord was suffocated. And the only voice you heard was the voice of man. The only will was the will of man. 
No place for the word of the Lord to give balance, to be a creative corrective, to challenge the terrible lies. No place for the word of the Lord to speak truth to power. No place in the system for that unblinking gaze of truth that would ask awkward questions of what they were doing, what their world was becoming. No, they preferred it when there was no chink of light in the terrible darkness they were creating. We are not alone to make the world we choose. How dreadful it would be if we were. There are plenty of words out there, carefully crafted words, adverts to seduce us, politicians with slogans and speeches and promises to persuade us, quick-witted entertainers to amuse us with clever words. There's no shortage of words. And we know that ringing around the world there are ugly words, inciting hatred, death to the infidel, replacing the old so-called Christian mantra, burn the heretic. Closer to home, piercing our heart, are cruel words, cruel words that wound and scar. I'm leaving you. I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. Killed in action. There are plenty of words. Books and newspapers and websites and tweets and blogs and magazines and reports and legislation. A Mount Everest of words. But are they the words we need to hear? Are they true words, healing words, saving words? Or are they just men's words and women's words? What if all there were were the shallow, empty, false, compromised and corrupted words? What if there were no comforting words that could reach into our pain and our brokenness and bring genuine hope? What if there were no truly inspiring words to extend our vision and enable us to believe in a better possibility? Transforming words that take us out of the valley of shadows and lift us out of the mire and put our feet on a rock. Those kind of words. What what if they were completely absent from our world and from our experience? Imagine we never heard gracious words that take people beyond their pride and their harsh certainties and reach out in mercy and healing and build bridges restore broken relationships. Imagine a world in which those kinds of words were never spoken and there was no place for forgiveness, no vocabulary of mercy. Or if our hearts were never stirred and moved and lifted up by inspiring words that took the blinkers of despair from our eyes and reminded us that there are other possibilities And there is strength and there is more and there is better for us and for the world, for our story and the world's story. Or imagine that the words of welcome that embrace us in our need and warm our heart, if those words were never spoken 
And when we came home, there were only closed doors and dismissals and disdain. And the only thing we heard was rejection and anger. Where would we be? There are plenty of words. There is a cacophony of words in our word-crowded world. But are they the words we need? The words we need to hear that restore and remake. The prophet Amos warns the people that if they keep going the way they're going and continue to embrace a culture of callous neglect and materialism and selfishness, then something terrible is going to happen to that world. They're going to make a world in which there is a famine of the word of the Lord. And what a disaster that will be should that befall them, should they bring this upon themselves by their indifference and their rebellion. And they were just left with a world full of hucksters, Flogging their snake oil ideologies to gullible and susceptible dupes. Or all they had was a strict diet of liars. Liars hawking their falsehoods under the guise of political philosophies. Encouraging us to believe that we need stuff that we don't need. That we were nothing more than consumers. Sales fodder. If all we could hear were the videos full of inflammatory words, fueling hatreds old and new, suspicions ugly and terrible. How corrosive to our peace of mind, how dangerous. People who hate us and our way of life, people who want to stir up the worst in us. And this isn't about global terror. You go to a football match in the United Kingdom and stand there for five minutes. Or listen to the racism or the homophobia or the vigilante mobs that are not very far away from us. God help us. If these are the only voices we hear speak in our world, how arid and ruined and broken would our spirit be? How much would we long for a word from the Lord? Something different, a new new kind of possibility that makes us stand tall and proud to be children of God, loved. How we would long to hear that God holds us in the palm of his hand, that our name is engraved on his heart, that there is no valley too dark or full of shadows, that he will not walk with us through it. Beautiful, reassuring, God-given words. For which a famished world waits. Which is why what we do here is so precious and important. This, the church, for all its inadequacies, this is the alternative lifestyle that the world longs for. The words people need to hear if they are not to be destroyed by the negativity. The shallowness that's offered as a staple diet to a world without God. So we need to keep singing our wonderful songs. And we need to keep telling our glorious story. And we need to keep sharing the words of truth that pour over the soul like a healing, soothing balm. Like a refreshing drink on a hot day. A cooling shower when the heat is too much to bear. 
by the grace of God, we have the words of life. And a hungry world must hear them. A hungry world must hear them sung and spoken and lived. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.